Uh, my name is Jack. I'm the lead pastor for Bethany Northeast. And um, this morning we're kind of in a, the second part of a two-part, I guess, sermon. Uh, it started on Good Friday for those that were here. We, uh, this space was or- organized a little different. We had the stage out in the middle of the room a little bit and stations around the room reflecting on um, Jesus uh, and the disciples' time in the Garden of Gethsemane. And I talked a bit about um, <clears throat> the story of uh, Jesus on the cross at the very end of the cross at Luke 23. And we just reflected on this idea of rest and Sabbath. And this was a, it was a really sacred space that we had. Um, as part of that experience, we had stations around the room. One of those stations we left here uh, made by one of our members, um, Allison Harris. I don't know if Allison's here. Yay, Allison. It's beautiful. And so the invitation during our Good Friday service was to come to this particular station. Um, it's a macrame weaving, but to tie on a cord, the, some of the cords are left below. Um, we'll have an invitation to you as well this morning. And um, kind of with an intention to take a step in faith, um, uh, responding to Jesus' prayer in the garden, not my will, Father, but yours be done. So uh, again, I'll bring our attention back to that toward the end of the service. Uh, but this morning we're continuing that story in Luke 24. So that's the end of Luke 23, the death of Jesus. And then it goes right on into the resurrection of Jesus in Luke 24. And so the way the timeline happens is Jesus dies on a Friday afternoon evening, um, spends the Sabbath day, which was Saturday, yesterday, um, in his tomb, as well as the disciples were in their homes observing the Sabbath. And then on the first day of the week, which is Sunday morning, today, uh, Jesus rose from the dead. So here's how the story goes. It'll be on the screen behind me, Luke 24. We'll read the verse 12 verses. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women uh, took the spices they prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you, while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, but crucified, be crucified on the third day, and then be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they, when they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others who were with them that told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed like to them like nonsense. And then verse 12, Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself, what had happened. Let's just take a moment now and pause. God, thank you for this scripture, for the story in it that is truth to us today. Um, perhaps uh, for our hearts, God, it might feel like a fairy tale and something that we, we've heard our whole lives, but isn't, um, hasn't sunk in. We don't know how it affects us. And so, God, that's my prayer for our community this morning and us personally, that this story would penetrate our hearts, that we would learn what it looks like to live as people responding to your risen life within us. We thank you, Jesus, that that's possible, that that's true, that today we gather because of that fact. We pray in your name, Christ. Amen. 
will wonder. This story ends with that theme of wonder. Jesus, or Peter went away wondering about these things. Wonder is this natural and spontaneous uh, to us all. Like when we were children, and many of us in the room who are children will resonate with this, we are in a constant state of wonder. Um, the, the world's new to us. It's tumbling in upon us every moment. There are new colors, new smells, new sounds, new tastes. We staggered through every day as explorers. Um, words are wondrous. Running around is wondrous. Riding a bike is wondrous. We just live in a world of wonders. So here I want to invite us just to take a moment and, and close your eyes. I know this is going to be strange for those that may not come often, but I, and I don't do this that often, but just close your eyes, especially the young people. It's hard to do this. And just imagine for a moment, picture in your, in your imagination, just riding your bicycle as a child on a warm summer day, you know, hands off the bars and experiencing the delight. Uh, imagine laying beneath the stars on a warm summer night in a, in a freshly cut lawn or perhaps watching fireworks on the 4th of July and just the ooh and the awe of that experience. Imagine seeing your first comet streak across the sky, or for some of you, the solar eclipse just a couple summers ago. Just imagine these things. You can open your eyes. Now, so I don't know if you were able to kind of um, time-lapse like, like I did, but we were built, if you can even imagine some of those places and times, you were built for wonder. And, and many of us, we came to Christ and we found that, to our delight, that wonder is confirmed by the God of the Bible. Here in Luke 24, in Genesis 1, God's delightfully creating the world around him. Um, in John, Jesus is revealed as light in the midst of a dark world. He's wonderful. There's wonder all over Scripture, and it's, it's deep, it's eternal, it's spiritual to us. We, we experience that. There's something uh, beyond us, beyond our comprehension that we're invited into in Christ. But gradually, that sense of wonder, as you get older, got squeezed out of you. And there are many reasons for that. Just simply growing older, experiencing loss, experiencing disappointment. Uh, disillusionment can lead to loss of wonder. Like when you discover things as they truly are, not as you're told they were or wish they are. It seems to me that the workplace is a primary vehicle for the loss of wonder. Um, For many of us, whether that workplace for you is exciting or whether it's pure drudgery, like you're going to go tomorrow and you're not going to be rewarded um, for your creativity, many of you, your curiosity, your sense of being an explorer, intrigued, closing your eyes at your desk and just imagining your work, like efficiency, mastery, you know, timeliness. Those are the values of the workplace, many of us. And so though we're wonderful creatures set free to live in a world of wonders, we spend our days with the deep sense that this all things new, all things are new, it, that we've been introduced to by Jesus is not true. It doesn't include us. It doesn't include our nine to five, our day to day. We feel for some of us, if we're honest, the same about our marriages. We wonder if it will ever be filled again with the wonder of those first days. We feel this way about parenting. For those of us that are parents, we have children to put through college, laundry to fold, garbage to take out, noses to wipe. I mean, to me, it seems like snotty noses are a good metaphor for the loss and lack of wonder in our lives. That's my, that was my work for the week on Photoshop, so there you go. We do not live in a world that promotes or encourages wonder. We're built for it. 
but the world is not encouraging it in us. But here's the deal. If we will not, what Luke 24 tells us, if we will not allow ourselves to experience wonder at some level, in the midst of our daily living, work, parenting, marriage, relationships, just the very ordinary lives you live, if we don't take the necessary time to cultivate wonder, we run the risk of missing out on the very thing Jesus came to give us, which was life. Which, by the way, is more than merely just a lower resting heart rate or the remaining number of years you have left to live or your relative quality of life that you're enjoying. Uh, none of those things are the life Jesus came to live, uh, give us. John 10.10, 10, Jesus says, I've come to give you life, life in all its fullness. And that word fullness means beyond measure. So that old MasterCard commercial is actually theologically spot on. The life Jesus came to give us is qualitatively deeper than the things we think of that are life-giving. It's priceless. And so the key here is that it's a life that can only be experienced, as we look at Luke 24, by an encounter with wonder, something that's beyond our reasoning, beyond our imagination, beyond our expectations, which is the reason that the, the angels there in the tomb ask Mary and her friends, the morning of the res- resurrection, why have you come looking for life among dead things, dead places, is what they ask. Christ is not here. He's risen you must encounter Christ if you're going to experience the life you seek or want the wonder you're after. And so if Jesus' resurrection is at the center of the Spirit's work in forming our lives, introducing us to the life of Jesus, which I believe it is, the very centerpiece of it, that sense of wonder has to be a big part of what has to happen to us on a day-to-day basis. And so this morning what I want to do briefly with you is meditate on this theme of wonder real briefly. Um, the wonder that Mary and her friends experienced, the wonder that Peter experiences, the rest of the disciples experience as a consequence of those people. So look at a few, um, here's your pun for the day, wonderful aspects of the resurrection. You might say just a a few ways we can cultivate wonder in our daily living. Um, And so here are the things I want to look at with you. I want to invite us to cultivate a beginner mind, and we'll do these briefly. Uh, Listen to other voices, and then spend time doing quiet business. Cultivate the beginner mind, listen to other voices, and spend time doing quiet business. You may not These may not all hang for you, but one of them might, so just listen in. So the first thing I think the resurrection invites us to do is cultivate the beginner mind. I mean, however many times the resurrection is talked about, three times specifically in the New Testament, Jesus talks about explicitly his resurrection. All throughout the Old Testament, resurrection is pointed to. However many times, hints and guesses in the Bible that the resurrection is talked about, those closest to Jesus, those who are anticipating it for generations, were totally unprepared for it, completely caught off guard by it. Um, When it happened, it turned out that not even his disciples and and these women who were also disciples, they had no idea that on that particular day, in that particular place, that particular person would rise from the dead. They, They nearly missed it, like nearly. Indeed, the women, we talked about this on Friday, who were the first witnesses to Jesus' resurrection, they didn't go to the tomb looking for the resurrection. You know why they went to the tomb? They were dealing with death. So they had spent their Sabbath preparing spices and ointments for Jesus' body. They were immersed in death so much, they were, their, their instinct in coming to the tomb was to anoint and embalm Jesus' body and then move on. Move on. Bury him well. That's what they come to do. They had not come expecting to find the stone rolled away. They did not come to f- expecting to find these three angels standing there. That was not on their agenda for the day. If you can imagine your daily agenda, that wasn't there. Death was there, embalming was there, mourning was there. None of this was here. They were prepared to reveal, uh, re- deal with the realities of death, and they were, they were turned about face. 
And God is saying, now you have to be prepared to deal with the realities of life after death. And as they did that, they're filled with a sense of wonder. Uh, and their wonder, if you read that, is actually a wonder of disbelief and doubt. Um, they could not comprehend what they were seeing, but it was wonder nonetheless. And I just want to affirm doubt in us. Uh, a faith without doubt is like a body without antibodies. You need some doubt in your life. And that's, a, that's wonder. There's a degree of, of wonder and doubt. Um, and it, it's in that confusion, their wonder, their doubting, that the angels call them to remember. Remember what Jesus taught you, what he said to you. I, he told you he would rise from the dead. A calling which essentially means start over. Just begin at the beginning. Go back to your first Sunday school lesson. Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Go back to square one. Go over everything Jesus said, everything he did, all the truth you've, you've compiled over all the years about God and God's upside-down kingdom and all the things you saw Jesus do, and then see that you are, that he is indeed part of the story. This is part of the story. You're part of the story. Your participation in it matters. There's nothing, as one person said once, that happened that was not prophesied, and nothing that was prophesied that wasn't completely fulfilled. There's nothing wasted in this story. Not a, not a period, not a comma, not a word. And so the application for us is this. We are never in a position, friends, to know very much about the ways in which God's Spirit forms our lives. We're never in a position to know very much about the way God's Spirit is forming our lives. We inhabit a mystery. We're characters in a story we, we don't know the end to always, a story that only God could write, and thus we must not pretend to know too much. Uh, it, you know, about the way this story is unfolding. A mentor of mine years ago once told me that as I was getting into ministry, ministry is like an amateur sport. He compared uh, ministry to amateur baseball and contrasted it with uh, professional baseball. And since I am a bit of a baseball fan, it made sense to me. I was in my mid-20s. We were at a staff meeting at a church I was working, on in the, working at in the U District. And I was just a rookie in ministry with a bunch of other guys. And, and this was his staff devotion for the day. And the reason he said ministry is like an amateur sport is because the root for a m- amateur is a more. And that's the word for love. And so he's trying to tell us as young ministers that we should be involved in ministry for the pure love of it. Not for the accolades we're going to get. Um, not for the pay. <laughs> not for our ego. Or because we just think we're good at it. Um, and, he, and so he told us that. And it was, a, it was a valuable lesson only later in my life. So I went off to seminary after that, and I attended a Presbyterian seminary, so I'm an ordained Presbyterian pastor, just so you all know. And um, they have a several-year ordination process, three years. Mine took uh, four, and here's why. It it involves exams, both written and oral exams, three years of seminary, a year of chaplaincy, and then meeting upon meeting upon meeting upon meeting, like committee, death by committee, uh, with this committee that that will, I had to write a statement of faith to. I just distill everything I'd been learning, everything I'd been experiencing down to one white paper, a statement of faith, what I really believed, the kind of the final hoop to jump through to become a pastor. So I'd written this thing. I'd come to the end of this long process. I'm like, man, this is going to be a slam dunk, easy. And uh, many of you who are doctors or nurses or you've been accounting or teaching, you've gone through processes like this where you face a board and it's like grueling, right? And so I'm facing this board. They're looking over my statement of faith. It's my heart on this page. And you know what they did? Yeah, they rejected it completely. They said that I, I was clearly regurgitating something I'd read and studied, but it, it did not reflect the heart of a pastor and the faith that I needed to thrive in ministry. And I was, 
they told me to start over. And I was like, what? I went to Princeton. Like, I've, I've worked my butt off. I was a great straight-A student. I passed all five of my ordination exams on the first pass. Like, I, like I'm extraordinary. <laughs> and uh, what do you mean I can't be a pastor? Right? And they said, so what? Like, do you think that's going to serve you when someone's spouse dies of cancer? Or there's infidelity or infertility or when somebody faces a crisis of faith and is, or the bottom is completely dropped out of their life and there's no meaning left. So what? Like, what do you believe, Jack, really at the core of your, of your being? Because that's what matters most in those moments. And so they sent me back to the beginning for a, on a year-long quest, my fourth year of ordination, of starting over, of going back to the beginning, going over all the things I'd first learned about Jesus and fell in love with about God, of remembering And that's why I love this moment in Luke 24 with this group of angels who invite Mary and her friends to remember because what what Luke tells us is they remember Jesus' words for a long time. For those interested, that's an heiress. Remember is an heiress. So the sense of time extends kind of infinitely. And so I like that because it it reflects my experience that they, they were in the tomb of Jesus remembering everything he taught and said and done and declared and revealed for some time. There's like a time lapse here in those verses between when they were there and then they left. And it just might have taken some time to sort through it all, to connect the dots and their doubts and their unbelief and their sense of disorientation. Like it wasn't immediate. They were sent by these angels on a quest of starting over this journey of going back to the beginning of their lives, which clearly freed them, uh, like it freed me to move forward with a renewed sense of call and purpose and faith. And so resurrection wonder we're on the Resurrection Sunday, is not something we master. It's not something we, over which we have much control, if any. And it's not something you accomplish on one Sunday, Easter Sunday. It's not something you accomplish with a single prayer. Just get it done. It's not a box you check. Uh, Buddhists talk of cultivating the beginner mind. Jesus once said, you, you have to enter the kingdom, or you can only, as a little child, you have to be an explorer. You have to discover. You're a beginner in this business. There are no experts in Christianity, only amateurs. You must be curious about God and God's ways. Love him so much that you want to know more of him every day. You must remember if you're going to be filled with wonder, okay? That's the first thing. These next two will be much quicker. So here's number two. In the resurrection stories we have, that we have, all of them, marginal people, in this case the women, play a prominent role in perception and response. And in particular, like I said, Mary Magdalene in this story, in Luke, She's perhaps the most marginal of any of the early followers of Jesus, and yet she play, is the chief witness to every resurrection story, the only person to appear in all of the resurrection accounts, every gospel. And the only fact we know about Mary Magdalene before she joined Jesus was she had been possessed by or, or delivered by from seven demons. And those seven demons could refer to any number of challenges she faced. It could have been a mental illness, a physical illness, could have been a, a, a moral life that was just going the wrong direction. We don't know for sure. We'd be careful to not put her in a box, as many have tried to do. What we do know is that either both or all of those pre-Jesus conditions, coupled with her being a woman in that very patriarchal culture, put on the far edge of marginality. So here's the application. Given the importance that we in our society give to celebrity endorsements and trending news and tweets and the lifestyles of the rich and famous... This means that we, who are committed to following Jesus and longing to experience a a deep sense of wonder in our lives, must 
learn to pay attention to other voices, especially those voices that are outside the mainstream, on the periphery of our vision, off the radar of our lives. Uh, The men and the women who are going to be most valuable to us to cultivating a sense of wonder, introducing us to the life of Christ, are most likely going to be people on the far edge of society, the poor, immigrant, the suffering, the rejected, poets, children. That's one big reason we invite children to be part of our worship gathering, because many of the prophets in the Old Testament were actually what we would call children, young people. And they had a a, a unique and, and, and profound sense of God speaking into their lives and could share that in ways that weren't received very well. Think of Ezekiel, like lying in front of his house for I don't even know how many years, making mud houses and weird. Read Ezekiel sometime. We're going to talk about it this summer. It's bizarre. And he is utterly rejected. And that's, that's on the far edges of marginality, God is speaking in those ways. So here's a question for you. Is there anyone in your life, I just named a handful of possibilities, that you're allowing or you might consider allowing to speak to you about God? Speak into your life. Speak truth into your heart to surprise you, to puzzle you. <laughs> My children do this all the time. Cause you to wonder about God's ways and God's world. Who are the other voices that you listen to? Are you only listening to majority voices? Or are there some that you, you listen to that can speak truth to you that are in that minority? And not just, listen to, not just listen, but learn and be led by those people. Let them lead the way. Because you see, when, when we learn and we listen and we're led by others, we're clued into the purposes of God. If it weren't for Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Jesus, and Joanna, and the other women with them, and the courage it took for them to go back to the disciples who were gathered for fear of the Jews, we wouldn't have a clue. Zero. We wouldn't know that Jesus rose from the dead. We wouldn't be here today. That's just truth. And so who are the other voices in your life that you need to begin paying attention to, listening to, learning from, and thus cultivating a sense of God at work, God's wonder? Okay, that's the second thing. Here's the last, very quickly. The resurrection was a discreet event. So uh, we're, we're called to remember, go back to the beginning, we're called to listen to other voices, and then we're called to do quiet business. It was a discreet event that took place in a private place without publicity or spectators. And so we need to learn to do quiet business. There was energy, there was emotion, there were tears, there was running, there was astonishment, there was a bewilderment, but nothing to catch the attention of outsiders. There was only one account in Matthews where there was an earthquake, which is a partial exception because the only people that actually were affected by it were the guards, <laughs> but nobody else seems to have talked about it. In these other accounts, and especially in Luke's story, we have very little lights in action. So like, there's this poignant moment with Peter stooping over the place Jesus' body's laid, this limestone slab, and all he finds there are some strips of linen. That's it. There's no lights. There's no microphones. There's no band. There's nothing else. There's no preacher. (laughs) It's very austere and quiet and sacred. There's a sense of intimacy to it, just him and Jesus' burial clothes. There's no angels anymore. Just him and Jesus' burial clothes. And so here's the application. Given our custom ways of surrounding important events like this, with attention-getting publicity, mailers, (laughs) music, preachers, lights, action, uh, this is a very important word to us. Both us as we gather on Easter, but also us as we go from here 
and go to our workplaces, go back to our brunches, go to our on-demand devices and the media and the culture of noise and connection all around us everywhere. Bright lights, amplification, constant connection are not accessories to wonder. They are not. You might think because they're beautiful, this, I've got this new iPhone and it's beautiful and it's glimmering and wow, but that's not wonder. That's a knockoff. That's fake. And so scripture tells us it's in stillness and in quiet that our souls find their rest. The great Swiss theologian Karl Barth once said, a being is only free when he or she can determine the limit of its activity. When you can say no. And by that definition, I have a hard time counting many free beings among my acquaintances, including myself. I've been one of those people. I still am. I, never, I rarely experience God's wonder because I'm rarely saying no. I'm rarely being still. I'm rarely cultivating a posture of rest. And so God says, be still and know. Jesus says, come to me when you're weary and heavy, and I'll give you rest. I'll help you find life. I'll, give you, I'll fill you with wonder. Um, so do you have space in your life for quiet, for rest, for stillness, for Jesus. That's what he came to give you. Life, resurrection, these are gifts. They come by a way of saying no to some things and saying yes to his spirit. That's what you've been created for. So do you see what God wants to give us this morning, Easter Sunday, 2019? A new capacity to respond in wonder to mysteries that are beyond us. A readiness to be surprised but what we don't understand, what we can't anticipate, and an awareness that we're involved in a sort of life that is greater than our lives. Might we be those people today, tomorrow, the coming weeks, who are, who are cultivating a sort of wonder in our lives so that people around us might see a God who is indeed wonderful. So by way of response, I'm going to invite our worship team up. But by way of response this morning... I mentioned this macrame here earlier that our congregation used as a part of our response on Good Friday. I want to invite us toward that this morning. Um, Maybe you've been in churches where now I'm going to have you close your eyes and bow your heads and raise your hands. We're not going to do that. But we are one body. So the people who gathered on Good Friday and the people who are here today, not all the same, but some, um, we're one body. And so this morning, I want to invite us together with that body that gathered to kind of go further up and further into God's story. And so here's what I want to do. On Good Friday, the threads that are below this macrame, people wove them into this weaving as a way of saying, God, not my will, but your will. Um, And so this morning, I want to invite you to something similar. Think of Mary Magdalene for a moment, getting up from the tomb of Jesus, a marginal figure, a marginal character in that story, in that society, returning to where the disciples are gathered, they're totally discouraged and afraid, telling them what she'd seen and encountered. Think of that. That was an incredible act of faith, extraordinary act of faith. It took amazing courage. She is probably the most courageous person in history. And so considering her position, what she did, and how she set fire to the world, um, here's the question for you. Is there a step that you know that you know that you know God's inviting you to take today a conversation you need to have, a decision you need to make, a relationship you need to move further into, a commitment to faith that you haven't made yet. Might you come, if that's you, tie a cord into this weaving, expressing your prayer to God, saying, God, I want to live with greater intention in these coming days, with greater courage. 
I want to be filled with wonder. I need you, God. And so give me a capacity to act in faith. It's not just believing, it's acting. So that's how I want to invite us to respond. It may not be everybody in the room, but there may be some of you that have that need to step forward. And so I invite you to be courageous and do so. Let's take a moment to pray. God, we're going to sing in just a moment, worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. You are worthy, God. That's our desire today, to to live for you, to experience the life of your son Christ who is in us, to know you, to experience you, to rest in you, to participate in your life. And so, God, our, our simple prayer this morning, all of us, is that you'd open our eyes and wonder. Show us who you are. Fill us with your heart. And lead us in love. Lead us in love, Lord. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. As you're responding as well, there's a uh, couple people, Libby and Brian, over here on the other side of the stage that would love to pray with you. So if this isn't necessarily what you're hoping to respond to, but you know the Lord wants to just speak to you, Libby and Brian would love to pray along with you in that, that moment. Let's respond in worship.